so this chapter, chapter 18 of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Ditti vows to kill Indra. It's such a fascinating chapter. And let's let's do a little um, walk down memory lane <laughs> to remember how we got to where we are here today. So the first, because I'm going to, um, we're going to read most of it, but I'm going to, you know, the first 20 verses, I'm going to give a summary. There's basically no purports um, for the most part in there. But um, so the first nine verses talk about Aditi's descendants. So I don't know if you can remember way back um, in the sixth chapter of this canto, there was a list of um, the descendants of Daksha and his six, the descendants of his 60 daughters. And 17 of those daughters married Kasyapa Muni and the progeny of two of those daughters uh, were, are, are elaborated on Aditi, the mother of the demigods and Diti, the mother of the demons. And they're, uh, they'll be very prominent in, in all the cantos uh, from here on in up to the 10th canto. So if you, if you were to look at verse 38 and 39 of chapter 6, Sukadeva Goswami, he, he names the uh, dynasties, or I guess if you're in England, the dynasties, um, produced of each of Aditi's 12 sons. And that leads us to the wonderful history we heard of Indra killing, uh, well, Indra killing Vishwarup and the son of Aditi's fourth son, Tvasta. And that leads to the, you know, amazing saga uh, story of the birth and death of uh, Britrasura and the cursing of Maharaj Chitraketu. Okay, and that's, uh, so those topics were, you know, um, discussed in all the way from chapter 7 to chapter 17, right, the chapter we just finished. Now, in chapter 18, Sukadeva Goswami is going to continue describing Aditi's offspring, at least for these nine verses. And now he's, I know it's a little complicated, but now he's speaking of the fifth son, Savita. And then he continues his description of the dynasties of uh, Aditi's sons until we uh, he's discussed the progeny of all 12. And there's some famous sons, Soma, the moon god, Brigu, Varuna, uh, Valmiki, Agastyamuni, Vashtishta Rishi, and even the Lord uh, Urukrama, and, uh, or Vamanadev. And his pastimes will be described in, uh, in chapter 8. So that is uh, the first nine verses. But also interesting in, in the fifth text, it mentioned that Brigu and Valmiki were the sons of Varuna, and and Vashishta were the sons of Varuna and Mitra uh, combined. Okay, so that leads us up to the tenth verse. Now, so the, we switch to the descendants of Ditti. We heard Aditi, the mother of the demigods. Now, Ditti, the mother of the demons. And uh, Sukadev says, you know, now let me describe the sons of Ditti who were begotten by Kasyapa, but who became demons. Now, of course, you know, in this so-called demoniac family, there were great devotees, Pallad Maharaj, Bali Maharaj. Um, and so the demons are technically known as Daityas because they proceeded from the womb of Ditti. Um, and uh, Henry, okay, very good. Um, so... Like I said, the oh, so the the other prominent descendants of uh, 
of of uh, Ditti were, you know, Hiranyakashipu, Hiranyaksha, Prahlad, Rahu, uh, Vatapi, uh, Vlala, Vlala, I can never pronounce that right, uh, Virochana, Bali Maharaj, and Bana, Bana, Banasura. So we are going to hear also later on in this chapter about the 49 Maruts, who, uh, although they were born of Ditti, were not demons by birth, but were awarded the status as demigods by Indra. So that's that's the first <laughs> 19 verses. Uh, we've never covered so many verses so quickly. <laughs> but that leads us up to the 20th verse and where we will start our, uh, our look at uh, things. So let me get that up here. Okay, verse 20. King Pariksit inquired, my dear Lord, due to their birth, the 49 Maruts must have been obsessed with a demoniac mentality. Why did Indra, the king of heaven, convert them into demigods? Did they perform any rituals or pious activities? My dear Brahmana, I and all the sages present with me are eager to know this. Therefore, O great soul, kindly explain to us this reason. So isn't that cool, especially if you've read the whole chapter, you see, just from those that one question or those two verses, this whole wonderful pastime is going to be described. And uh, so, again, if we, as we said so often, questions are so important. You know, they are the the questions. What we what we ask depends what we hear, and therefore, you know, the it was it Sanatana Goswami, Kami, who am I? You know, the most basic question. Who am I? Am I this body? Am I this soul? You know, wh- who am I? Um, that's that's a great question. And and we know Srila Prabhupada only asked one question of his guru. Only one question. How can I serve you? And just because of that one question, look what's happened in the world. And, and you know, this creation of ISKCON, etc. So questions are... Um, and Prabhupada talks about in the first canon that... Um, all day long, people are asking questions, and there's question and answer, question and answer, question and answer. So this is a great question by Maharaj Pritchett, and it gives Sutta Sukadeva Goswami an opportunity. So now Sutta Goswami is going to speak in 22 and say, uh, Oh, great sage Shonaka, after hearing Maharaj Pritchett speak respectfully and briefly on topics uh, essential to hear, Sukadeva Goswami, who was well aware of everything, Praised his endeavor with great pleasure and replied. Let me just look at my notes here. Um, okay. First, okay, that's 20, 20, that's 22. Okay, so in the purport, Prabhupada writes, Maharaj Pariksit's questions was very much appreciated by Sukadeva Goswami because although it was composed of a small number of words, it contained meaningful inquiries about how the sons of Ditti, although born of demons, became demigods. And Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur stresses that even though Ditti was very envious, her heart was purified because of a devotional attitude, which we'll hear about later. Uh, another significant topic is that although Kasyapa Muni was a learned scholar and was advanced in spiritual consciousness, he nonetheless fell a victim to the inducement of his beautiful wife. And we'll hear about that. All these questions were posed in a small number of words. And therefore, Sukadeva Goswami very much appreciated 
Maharaj Pritchett's inquiries. You know, it's just like, I know for myself as a, you know, because I give a lot of classes and things, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but sometimes when somebody gives like a whole lecture before their question, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like, okay, no, you have a question, you know, get to the question. And so he appreciated that, that he was very brief. Um, we know that uh, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami in the Chaitanya Charitamrita says, this is such a beautiful uh, seven words, essential truth spoken concisely is true eloquence. Isn't that nice? Essential truth spoken concisely is true eloquence. And when you think about it, Srila Prabhupada, you know, he gave the most powerful classes. Most of his classes were about 30 minutes. They weren't long, but they had so much in them in a relatively, you know, short amount of time. So brevity does not necessarily equal, um, I mean, brevity can be wonderful. Yeah. <clears throat> so the question is, well, okay, uh, the question, was, okay, let's uh, go to the next verse. Sukadeva Goswami said, just to help Indra, Lord Vishnu killed the two brothers, Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu. Because of their being killed, their mother, Ditti, overwhelmed with lamentation and anger, contemplated as follows. Well, I should have asked, did anyone want to any, make any comment or question about um, brevity or true eloquence? Now everyone's afraid to ask anything. <laughs> Go ahead, Andy. No. <laughs> that, that was very eloquent. <laughs> very good. All right. Nandimuki, no, no uh, comments? Let us go ahead, Prabhu. Okay. Uh, Gurudas Prabhu says, can we assume that in some cases the sages who are inquiring have already inquired on these subjects before, <clears throat> but to honor the speaker and to hear his Krishna realizations inquire from him again? Yes, I think we can say that that sometimes happens. I, you know, I, it may be hard to say when, unless the Acharyas tell us. Um, but there's a statement by Prabhupada somewhere. Oh, I can't remember where, where he talks about this, that sometimes a devotee does it. I think he even uses the word out of strictness, that he just, you know, checks to make sure that his understanding is right or that he just reinforces something that he knows already, but you hear it again. And there's other places where Prabhupada will say that repetition is generally not considered very good in Sanskrit literature, but sometimes when the Acharyas do repeat something, they, they do it for a very good reason. If anyone can remember the context of that, I, I don't remember it off the top of my head. So, or even we know that verse, Hare Arnama, Hare Arnama, Hare Arnama, Eva Kevalam, Kalo Nasteva, 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 Katir Anyata. So for emphasis, three times the Holy Name and three times there's no other process <laughs> so um, okay then we'll continue L Lord Indra who is very much fond of sense gratification has killed the two brothers Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu by means of Lord Vishnu so he didn't do it directly but right we know we know how Hiranyakashipu was killed and we know how Hiranyaksha was killed 
Therefore, Indra is cruel, hard-hearted, and sinful. When will I, having killed him, rest with a pacified mind? When dead, the bodies of all rulers, known as kings and great leaders, will be transformed into worms, stool, or ashes. If one enviously kills others for the protection of such a body, does he actually know the true interests of life? Certainly he does not. For one, for if one is envious of other entities, he surely goes to hell. Prabhupada writes, the material body, even if possessed by a great king, is ultimately transformed into stool, worms, or ashes. When one is too attached to the bodily conception of life, he is certainly not very intelligent. Then in 26, Ditti thought, Indra considers his body eternal, and thus he has become unrestrained. I therefore wish to have a son who can remove Indra's madness. Let me adopt some means to help me in this. Thinking in this way, with the desire for a son to kill Indra, Ditti began constantly acting to satisfy Kasyapa by her pleasing behavior, O king. Ditti always carried out Kasyapa's orders very faithfully as he desired, with service, love, humility, and control, with words spoken very sweetly to satisfy her husband, and with smiles and glances at him. Ditti attracted his mind and brought him under control. So, wow. I, I, did be, I, I didn't do this before, but I did want to just give a, a quick refresher on... Um, the conception of Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu, just because, you know, uh, they were mentioned before that. If you remember in the third canto, way back in the third canto, 14th chapter, uh, Sukadev Goswami, he, it's important, it, it's helpful because the same thing kind of happens again, <laughs> right? Uh, Ditti was, enti- uh, she enticed Kasyapa Muni to conceive a child with her at an inauspicious, children at an inauspicious time. And that led to Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu's birth. And just after their conception, uh, Kashyapa predicted, he said, Oh, haughty one, Diti, you will have two contemporary, contemptuous sons born of your condemned womb. Unlucky woman, they will cause constant lament, lamentation to all the three worlds. They will kill poor, foolish living entities, torture women, and enrage the great sages. Um, though still, you know, he gave them, he, uh, he also, when his wife, when Diti repented, he gave a blessing in, in verse 41 of that chapter where he assured her that her sons would die fortunate, fortunate deaths. Um, but it's just interesting because something quite similar is about to happen now. Um, and what we're, we're up to, okay, so I wanted to say that here in, because um, Ditti, okay, so she wanted to avenge her son's deaths by killing Indra because she thought of Indra, she thought that Indra, rather than her son's own demoniac natures and deeds, were the reason her sons had died untimely. Um, but she knew she didn't have the power to avenge her sons alone, right? So she figured, okay, how can I, how can I do this? Well, my husband is this super powerful mystic, right? So if, um, 
if I can get his blessings, if I can serve him so nicely that he'll offer me any benediction I want, then I can ask him for this boon. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that, that was her thinking, which is obviously is not exactly pure devotional service, right? There's a lot of people still joining. Okay. Not exactly pure devotional service. So now we're on to um, text 29. Although Kasyapa was a learned scholar, he was captivated by Ditti's artificial behavior. So he was tricked, right? Which brought him under her control. Therefore, he assured his wife that he would fulfill her desires. Such a promise by a husband is not at all astonishing. Then in text 30, in the beginning of creation, Lord Brahma, the father of the living entities of the universe, saw that all the living entities were unattached. To increase population, he then created women for the, from the better half of the man's body, for women's behavior carries away a man's mind. So in the beginning of the purport, Prabhupada writes that this entire universe is going on, on under the spell of sexual attra- attachment, which was created by Lord Brahma, to increase the population of the entire universe. And that's one way to increase the universe, isn't it? Not only in human society, but also in other species. As stated by Rishabdev in the fifth canto, Pungsa Striya Mituni Bhava Metam. The entire world is going on under the spell of sexual attraction and desire between man and woman. When man and woman unite, the hard knot of this attraction becomes increasingly tight. And thus a man is implicated in the materialistic way of life. So, um, I guess I should do this so that you can see me. Um, I was thinking of this because, you know, we probably all know people who may not at least externally be just like mad, lusty people who just, you know, right, you know, the only thing in their mind, we probably know people who aren't, aren't exactly like that. But, but if we look at the verse that Srila Prabhupada is quoting, then So in, in, in the uh, Bhagavatam's description of this, this is of course Lord Rishabdev, it's not just the, it's not only the bodily attraction, it is the uh, etc. Uh, you know, aho grihak shetra, a house, land, children. Um, you know, in these days, education, uh, minivans. You know, there's a whole uh, grandchildren. Uh, you know, life insurance policies. And, you know, it 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 just expands, 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 and someone gets so caught up in in the material world. And that was, that is Bishab Dave's, um, you know, he, he's, he's not only just saying the actual sexual attraction, which of course is there. And as Prabhupada says, that is needed to populate the world. Um, but it's, it's the, it's the et cetera that really is, um, is part of the, of the entanglement. Mm-hmm. It, you, it creates kind of a, a cocoon that just uh, absorbs us all the 
So this is this is um, this is something to keep in mind. You know, think if you're thinking, especially as a renunciate, because Lord Rishab Davis was preaching to um, his hundred sons, um, many of them who became you know sannyasis. That you know, it's it's wow. This material world is an entangling place. And then in the end of that purport. Oh, yeah. So now, so then in the end of the purport, Prabhupada uh, talks about just, you know, he um, tells us to be careful. He quotes this verse from the ninth canto that one should be, you know, it says, it says an extreme example, but just to give us the warning that you shouldn't even be alone with, you know, with your close uh, relatives of the opposite sex, because the mind can just be, you know, can go bonkers, right? Um, it's it's a very strong statement, but it's there to 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 um, to just tell us, wow, the mind can really be hard to uh, control. So there is uh, <clears throat> something I remember. This it, it's originally it was called the Modesto Manifest, Manifesto, and it became the Billy Graham rule. And in the last year, and somewhat ridiculed was the Mike Pence rule. And the idea was that um, these Christian practitioners, especially after the Me Too movement and, and all that, they, 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 of course, the Modesto manifestation, uh, manifesto predates the Me Too movement, but it's become a popular thing, uh, uh, now. And that is that a, uh, a man would not want to, um, be alone with uh, a, a woman uh, um, without the presence of his wife, you know, assuming that he's married. And even some, some people, Mike Pence wouldn't even have like dinner with someone um, other, unless his wife was present. <clears throat> so it's come under some, some criticism sometimes because uh, it, some people say it restricts the opportunity for women to network with any male colleague who happens to be implementing that rule. Even some people say, hmm, is, if this is applied in the workplace, is it an illegal labor discrimination, uh, which I happen to know a lot about because of my job, which is, you know. Um, but people um, like, like this one Jewish author says that, you know, the critics of the, I'm just reading, the critics of the rule have misunderstood the purpose of the rule. He says that the rule prevents third parties from suspecting that an illicit romantic relationship exists. Uh, it also protects against any future accusations should the other party become embittered and seek to attack the innocent boss. Finally, it protect, it, it does protect both parties from developing natural attractions and potentially falling into adultery. And according to a 2017 poll from the New York Times, 53% of women and 45% of men believe it would be inappropriate to have dinner alone with someone of the opposite sex who is not their spouse um, compared to 35% of women and 43% of men who would consider it appropriate. So it's just, it's just kind of interesting that something that was written eons ago, um, there is some practical discussions about that even today. And I think the, the, um, the lesson for us is just, in all different parts of our life, we just try to uh, have, a, have a very res uh, deep respect for the illusory energy <laughs> and not to think that we are 
we are um, beyond it. Yeah, I remember one time, uh, Natika Chandrika Mataji, I don't know if any of you know her, she's a very, very wonderful, advanced disciple of Prabhupada's. And she picked me up at the airport in Gainesville. And this is many, many, many years ago. <laughs> and she picked me up by herself. And I, I, I got in the back of the car. <laughs> I just like to sit in the back seat, you know. And she was like, what are you doing? So we, we may have to be practical because, you know, there was no crazy relationship between me, me and Matsuchi um, and, and be sensitive to people's sensitivities. So I just take it, you know, extracting it from this particular point, but making a more general point that we should be um, careful of the illusory energy. As Prabhupada said, I, every day I pray to Krishna, please protect me from Maya. So if Prabhupada says that, what to speak of us? So some questions, comments on this point or these points. We made two different points in this uh, in this purport. Hi, Krishna. Yes. When I when I entered my field, which is teaching, um, the advice I got was uh, similar to the Vedic advice that you're discussing. You know, when you have a meeting with a female student. You keep your open. Yeah, yeah, very good. I, I know my uh, my guru Maharaj, he, uh, Prabhu, he, um because we lived, he lived in the apartment above my house in Vrindavan, and he would, uh, if if some uh, lady devotee wanted to see him, he would always call me up to accompany her, um, you know, to his place, or he would come down and meet her outside uh, someplace, you know, on a on a park bench or something like that, you know, in at the MVT someplace uh, clearly out in public, but he was, uh, yeah, he was very careful like that. Yeah. And, and I could imagine, I mean, you know, uh, it, it's especially hard for like college teachers where, you know, uh, people, whether men or women, they're, they're attractive when they're younger. Right? <laughs> and, you know, it would be uh, very good advice for a, for a professor like yourself to do things like that. Thank you. Buddhas Prabhu. Jiva Tatrabhu or your good wife. I can't tell which one, but I see a hand up. Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jiva Tatrabhu. I know, I know your voice from a mile away. Okay. So time, place and circumstances, they are also very important. They play a role and every relationship is unique, but we have to pay attention to time, place and circumstances. And like you always say, and like Acharya say as well, that we have to focus on the principle and the detail aspect can be modified based on the time, place, and circumstances principle has to be same so that you're following the principle while managing a sanity in a given situation. So, you know, in this particular case, today happens to be Valentine's Day. And ah, yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> and we all understand that actually St. Valentine started it as a love for God. And then materially, we had a perverted reflection, changed it to, you know, for Maya. <laughs> So I was just reflecting on that, that in this situation, Diti is trying to influence her husband. And you made those two points, makes it very relevant as how it is easy to be controlled by Maya if you're not careful. Yeah, yeah. It's just lurking around the corner. We just have to, yeah, we have to be uh, one time. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Yeah, one time probably said my, my com one complaint about my disciples is they're not um, sufficiently fearful of, of Maya. 
By the way, I'd like to welcome Rupesh, who is calling us, I believe, from Mexico, and a dear friend of mine um, who I've known for many years from different parts of the world because he works in the uh, um, foreign service. So he travels all over the world sometimes. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Um, what was he? I was going to say something now. Let me see if I re remember. Shila mm. Prabhupada used to say about Maya, my disciples are not. Yes, yeah, sufficiently afraid. Yes. No, I was going to say something else, but that's okay. All right. So shall we, shall we uh, carry on? Oh, I know. I was uh, thinking about this point that um, Kasyapa, well, let's, well, let's get to it when Kasyapa does a little bit more. So the next verse, verse 31. Hi, Krishna, can I just make a quick uh, reflection as well on this? Of course. Uh, you know, we're quite, um, the Vedas here seem very strong and, and very harsh, but I feel like our movement is quite liberal because there are other religions where the men are always separated from the women. So if you're going to mosque or if you're going to other, other places of worship, there's always separate, like, you know, places of worship between men and women. So mm -hmm. I was just reflecting on that. Yeah, yeah. And, and Prabhupada was asked that once because there was some, there was some, uh, statement somewhere that Jiva goes, that, uh, Jiva Goswami refused to, uh, to, uh, meet Mirabai. And Prabhupada said, no, in, in our line, God, sannyasis will meet women. You know, they might not meet, you know, not, not in private, but they would meet them. So he, yes. And it's true also Orthodox Ju Judaism, uh, as well. Yeah. Um, they even like, if, like, like, let's say it would be the, the, Comparison for us is there would be men on one side of the temple room, men on the other, and then a big, you know, sheet <laughs> dividing the two in, in the middle sometimes. So yes, it's, it's, so it's respectful. It's really just respecting everyone on one hand and respecting the, the strength of the illusory energy on the other hand. Yes. Thank you for that point. Yeah. Good point, Jay. Um, and yes, we are, we are, we, we are liberal in that sense, and we shouldn't just take advantage of that liberality. The reason we can be liberal is the strength of bhakti. Bhakti is so powerful. It's even said that really, if you want to be a pukka, a really, a really practice the other yogas, you have to be a renunciate. But in bhakti, you can be a householder like that because of the strength of that. So thank you for that point. Uh, oh, my dear one, oh, most powerful Kasyapa, being extremely pleased by the mild behavior of his wife, Ditti, he smiled and spoke to her as follows. Kasyapa Muni said, oh, beautiful woman, oh, irreproachable lady, since I am very much pleased by your behavior, you may ask me for any benediction you want. If a husband is pleased, what desires are difficult for a wife, for his wife to obtain, either in this world or in the next? A husband is the supreme demigod for a woman, the supreme personality of Godhead, Lord Vasudev. The husband of the goddess of fortune is situated in everyone's heart and is worshipped through the various names and forms of the demigods by fruit of works, workers. Similarly, a husband represents the Lord as the object of worship for a woman. The problem makes the, the clear point here um, in the purport that so he says the demigods are various assistants who act like hands and legs of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. 
so we say you shouldn't worship demigods, right? He, he's quoting that verse. But then he's, but one, one who is not in direct touch with the Supreme Lord and cannot conceive of the exalted position of the Lord is sometimes advised to worship the demigods as various parts of the Lord. So it's not that, you know, it's not like it's the highest, but it's something that connects it with Krishna. And that's the point he's making about in the next sentence, that if women who are usually very much attached to their husbands worship their husbands as representatives of Vasudev, then everyone's benefited, right? The, the, the woman is benefited just as Ajamil was benefited by calling for Narayana, his son. So the point was that it, 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 if somehow or other it helps uh, everyone be connected to, to Krishna. Now, of course, it puts a huge burden on the husband to behave in a way that warrants that high respect. And that's, <laughs> that's a big challenge. Uh, and then Prabhupada kind of gives the purport. If husband and wife are attached to one another for advancement in Krishna consciousness, their relationship of cooperation is very effective for such advancement. Okay, so that's such an important. If husband and wife are attached to one another for how? For advancement in Krishna consciousness, their relationship of cooperation is very effective for such advancement. And that is a fact when we see, you know, so many um, kind of powerful devotee couples that we, we all know, right? Um, uh, I'm looking here, we have, well, we have Jiva Tattva and, and, uh, and Ananta Rupa here on, on this call today. I don't, and Shakshi Gopal and uh, Raghunandan, very powerful married people. I, I did meet Andy's wife once, <laughs> so like that, yes. And I don't know the, uh, the ashrams of everyone on the call, so I won't call them out. But we know, you know, for devotees who are in Washington, D.C., we see amazingly empowered devotees like um, Mother Rukmini and Anuttama Prabhu, right? And, and Gorvani Prabhu and his a good wife, Brinda, and so many. Uh, and this, again, is the power of bhakti and, and the power that Prabhupada, Prabhupada was so pleased. He, he didn't send sannyasis to London. Right, he he sent three Krihasta couples, young young, recently married young people. One of them was Henry's good friend, Mother Yamuna, and they, you know, sent a letter back to uh, Prabhupada. Uh, was it Krishna consciousness rocks London? <laughs> you know, these three Krihastas. You know, it, it's 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 amazing. So there is great power, great power, and and when you think about it. It's very, uh, it's, such, it's such an important thing for spreading Krishna consciousness because most people are not going to be sannyasis. Um, but they learn from, if they can see the example of a married couple who are uh, happy together, who are respectful to one another, um, they say, oh, I can do that, maybe. Or that's, that's, that's you know, so that's a, uh, something to, uh, try to attain that kind of uh, relationship and the God consciousness that that is there, then it, yeah, it's very powerful. I remember listening to uh, a talk by Mahatma Prabhu recently, and he was saying that a husband should, you know, it's so important. The husband doesn't think of the wife as a source of enjoyment, but thinks of the wife. He uses three words, um, respect, R, and the next one was S, service to them, and P, uh, protection. And it's interesting when you think about protection, 
because it actually cuts both ways. You know, we, we know in the Vedic times, the husband was there protecting, you know, protecting the wife and kind of the use of the term that we think of. But also, I believe it's in the fourth canto. The Yeah, it's in the fourth canto. Um, the wife is like a fortress for the husband also. Right? The husband's mind doesn't go astray to other women and things like that. He focuses on, on the one woman that he's uh, uh, married to uh, by dint of you know, religious principles and things like that. So um, it, it cuts both ways, the respect. The ser- if, if husband and wife are respecting each other, serving one another, protecting one another, and focusing on Krishna, it can be uh, glorious. And even so glorious that Bhaktivinoda Thakur says that uh, there's no need for one to renounce life at the end if they have that kind of marriage. You know, different times, different ch- uh, charyas say different things, but he did say that. <clears throat> uh, so, uh, oh, Ryan is asking a really interesting question. <laughs> that his birth name is Narayana. Uh, how is that pronounced? Uh, the A isn't silent at the end, I mean. And Andy points out that it's four syllables. Yes. Uh, and I, I'm, someone else, please help me, if, if uh, especially the Hindi speakers, but my understanding often in Hindi, we drop the last A, whereas in Sanskrit, we usually pronounce it. Um, so we sometimes say, uh, yeah, right? Um, is anyone, Jiva or anyone want to add to that? That's just a real practical thing. But that's been my experience or Sudanda or, or anyone else. Narayan, you're right, Prabhu. So we don't call it uh, the last A in English, like A, like Ram. Mm-hmm. So again, that A normally has a horizontal bar. If, yeah, know, that would be a long A. Yeah, but it's a yeah, short A, right? Yeah. We don't call it because it's just Narayana. So again, if you just extend your voice, it is like a small. Uh, yeah. So it could be Narayana, like really Narayana. short Narayana. Yeah. Okay. Narayan. So again, Narayan. Yes, but it, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, but it is four syllables. That's what. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's the difference between Sanskrit and Hindi, Prabhu. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 That's what I thought. And Shakshi Gopal says South Indian pronunciation is full. Narayana. And if I understand the first two A's are long, right? Yes, Narayana. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that Thank was you. off the topic, but still we got to chant Narayan. Wow, we, we made advancement. Yeah. We're lucky. <laughs> um, any uh, other thoughts on this uh, important point? <laughs> well, which point then, Narayana? No, no, the one before oh. Baba, <laughs> the one uh, about husband and wife, and uh, and if they serve together in Krishna consciousness, it's I, glorious. Actually, I did have a, a point about that. Okay, go ahead, Andy. Because <clears throat> there was some kind of controversial uh, things, like in verse 34 and 35, we didn't cover, which affected women. And I just want to say on behalf of women, and this is I, a fact. I would not be here if I weren't a grahasta. I, I was able to get in much more trouble. That's just me. I started out so low that the only reason I'm here now is I got elevated by becoming grahasta. So I have that to thank for marriage and women. I, I know I wouldn't be here. I'd be running around doing God knows what. 
Thank you very much. And your wife, like I said, I only met her once, but seems like such a lovely person. She's actually very chaste. Yeah, that's great. Wonderful. Yes, well, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And you have to understand the context of, yeah, there are a few things that kind of like, because uh, is speaking bad about women, but you have to understand the context. His wife just kind of totally bamboozled him, right? She was sweet-talking him and being nice to him with a total ulterior motive. So, you know, you can imagine we would probably be upset also, right? You know, your wife is, you know, you come home every night for a week and you have paneer subjis and, and, you know, all this nice things. And then at the end of the week, Prabhu, can we get a new car? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he's like, whoa, now I know why you're being so nice to me. <laughs> and then, you know, from then on, it's just, you know, like three day old Kitri or something. <laughs> when you say, no, we can't afford it right now or something like that. So, you know, there's a there's a there's an incredible context to this, and to Kasyapa's, um, what's the word? You know, the one thing good about Kasyapa is he does first blame himself before he kind of speaks about uh, about his wife in some of the uh, to yeah. So let's let's hear about those things. Unless there's other uh, points you'd like to make about this. No, I'm. Not hearing you. Suganda, you haven't posted one quote yet today. That's that's my fault. <laughs> okay, then let's continue. Um, so in 36, he says, My dear gentle wife, because you have worshipped me with great devotion, considering me a representative of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, I shall reward you by fulfilling your desires, which are unattainable for an unchaste wife. DT replied, Oh, my husband. Um, oh, great soul, I have now lost my sons. If you want to give me a benediction, I ask you for an immortal son who can kill Indra. Oh, my God. I pray for this because Indra, who, with the help of Vishnu, has killed my two sons, Hiranyaka and Hiranyakashipu. And if you read the purport, you got, like, coming attractions. You already found out what's going to be happening a little later on. <laughs> Upon hearing Diti's request in 38, Kasyapa was very much aggrieved. Alas, he lamented, now I face the danger of the impious act of killing Indra. Kasyapa thought, alas, I have now become too attached to material enjoyment. So he's taking the blame himself, which is good, right? Taking advantage of this, my mind has been attracted by the illusory energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in the form of my wife. Therefore, I am surely a wretched person who will glide down towards hell. So that is a good first reaction. You know, lots of times when something's happened to us, we blame everybody else, right? We, we go like this. It's, you know, it's somebody else, it's somebody else, somebody else. Um, but, you know, he, this, is, this is a good Krishna conscious reaction to first take, take, on the, uh, take on the blame, you know, ourselves. So what did I do wrong? Right. Um, and so this is, this is good. Now, of course, a little later, he's going to be upset with his wife as well, but it's, it's a, uh, it's an important part of being a devotee to gradually train ourselves on how to have good initial reactions. It's natural sometimes at first to be angry or upset or blame and this and that. And then, you know, five minutes later or five days later or five years later, sometimes 
we say, hmm, we become a little more thoughtful and, uh, and you know, look at how we contributed to the mess we're in. But we want to um, gradually come to the platform of our first reaction is the most Krishna conscious reaction. And to catch, especially our mind, when it goes quickly to anger, to frustration, to resentment, to envy, to jealousy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and, because usually Krishna gives us a little intelligence, that's what's happening. It's a little tap on the shoulder. And that's when we have to draw our mind back to what we understand as Krishna consciousness. Any thoughts on that before we go on? Can, can I ask if, if you have any guidance in terms of how we can train our mind, you know, to have the first uh, good Krishna conscious reaction? Yes, I do actually have a thought on that, <laughs> believe it or not, Jay. <laughs> and that is uh, to keep a journal. And journaling, you know, journaling could be, you could look on the internet, there's so many things about journaling and um, so many ideas of, how to do it. And some people, they just kind of let their mind, you know, just whatever comes to their mind writing. But part of a journal can be, um, oh, you know, these, these different times in the day, I had this choice. And how well did I do making the right choice? I had five, I had uh, eight extra minutes. Did I space out on YouTube or did I pick up my beads and chant an extra round? You know, because there's so many forks in the road every day, many, many of them, every day, and keeping track of those forks and how well we did with them, you know, we, if we journal at the end of the day, can really get our mind thinking about that and, and, and choosing, and, and we can become better and better as we're journaling more and more um, in making the right choices, making the choices. Because uh, sometimes, you know, we hear the philosophy in the morning, and then as we get caught up in the 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 passion of the day, we sometimes get very much swept away by, by the modes of material nature and by just how, you know, life goes on. And journaling, I think, is a very good way to, um, to become more aware of those touch points in the day. Uh, can I speak? Yes, please. Um, so I find myself throughout the day when I start to get angry or anxious or just upset, uh, I just start chanting the Maha Mantra, like internally, like in my head. So before I make a decision to do something angrily, I, I calm myself down. That's wonderful. Uh, I wish I could do that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, or as they say, you know, between the stimulus and the response, put a pause. And I think that, that the, the, the pause muscle where we choose the right one increases when we uh, can do journaling. Journaling is a very powerful thing, Jay. Um, Sugandha has put that quote from the fifth canto, one who is situated in household life and, uh, and who systematically conquers his mind and five senses, sense organs is like a king in his fortress who conquers his powerful enemy. After one has been trained in household life and his lusty desires have decreased, he can move anywhere without danger. And she writes, devotee means he is able to tolerate all kinds of discomfort and whims of the material nature. And because he is so much absorbed in serving Krishna, he takes no time to become angry or take offense with others to find out some fault. Thank you. 
So was that all right, MJ? That I mean, it's only one of different ideas, but uh, it can be uh, it can be very powerful. Yeah. Other questions or comments? Okay. So let us continue. Can I say one thing? Yes. Um, just thinking back to the last uh, section, it it it's. Um, Absolutely natural for DT to uh, excuse the horrible nature and the horrible activities of her sons and just think about, oh, he killed my sons, uh, or my son, my sons are dead. Let me get revenge. But it, it's uh, it was as I'm thinking about it, it's pretty amazing at the same time that our natural reaction is toward our, our kin or our blood relative, no matter what they've done. Um, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, the blood runs deep, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, we and like we did at the beginning of this class, we read, we spoke a little bit about how those two sons came about in the first place, right? Which uh, was, you know, Ditti acting in a... Uh, not in the most Christian conscious way. Mm. Yeah. Uh, other points. So we have four more minutes. I told you I had to leave early just today. Otherwise the class for people who are here for the first time goes on for an hour and a half, but uh, just this week, cause I have uh, to attend to something else, but other thoughts, instead of trying to go on to more verses, we can finish this chapter next week. You can ask, you can talk about anything you want in the next three minutes. Okay, you asked for it. I'll let Nandi Mookie. Mookie. I'll let, not let Nandi Mookie. Go ahead, Nandi Mookie. <laughs> I'm no, afraid what Andy's going to say. Andy. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Nandi. Okay. So I just uh, have one, I want to mention a small point. I, I noticed that in verse 32, um, very interestingly, um, Shukadeva Goswami addressed Kashyapa Muni as Shri Kashyapa. It mm. reminds me of a previous chapter where Vritrasara was also addressed as Sri Vritrasara. Mm. Yeah, so a sign of respect. Yeah. And Kasyabu, of course, is a great, great soul. And what's speak of Vritrasara, he's going back to Godhead. Thank you for that. Uh, go ahead, Andy. I was trying to find the verse, but I can't find it. But I think it's when... So Suganda will find it, no doubt. Go when ahead. we're covering the dimensions of the universe or somewhere around there, it said specifically chanting Narayana in four syllables. Yes, yes. It, so yeah. that's it. So uh, that's not Sanskrit or South Indian. That, that's what it said in the Sastra. So. Yeah, well, no, Sanskrit would say four, yeah. Yeah. Hindi and might that, say Narayana, yeah. It's confusing. That, that's his name, right? But a lot of words, the A's are left out, not even on the end, like in the middle somewhere, right? Really? I've never seen, I've, I've seen the A left out. What's there some examples of the A left out? Um, somebody help? Uh, there's many of them, but. Oh, like uh, Tulsi, right? Where's the A? Isn't it Tulasi, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean, it's all over the place, but in that, in this case, specifically said at least in that part of the scriptures that they yeah. were chanting you must chant it in four syllables four syllables yes kirtan is another example 
there is a there is a a at the end of kirtana, almost like a silent a, like kirtana. And I think if you get linguistic about it, the a is there for a reason, right? Just uh, like we have many silent letters in English, right? And it it reflects how you pronounce it. So they're doing something with the end of that word, probably native speakers. It, you know, that's real the real thing. Yeah. And I told you, I told you, Sukanda would find it. <laughs> the vision dude has continued even previously while eating and at other times this ajamila. See, there's another one. A lot of devotees will say Aja, uh, ajamila. Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, ajamila. Uh, or some will say ajamila, like ajamila. It's actually ajamila. It's a long this A. This is the yeah. quote I needed, though. That's yes, much there it is. Four, four syllables, Narayana. Yeah. There you go, Ryan. There's your answer. Okay. Question. Yes. How important is it to do 16 rounds of beads? I usually do like four and then like internally without like counting it, we'll probably count or, or chant another two rounds. How important is it to do 16 rounds of it? Well, there's different ways to answer that. But if, what, if we get initiated and we take a promise, then we should keep our promise. So if we decide to get initiated, then it's very important, right? Um, the more we chant, the, the, the better, the better, you know, the more our heart will be purified. But the, the real, the instruction that we leads up to 16 is just whatever we do, try to keep that steady. So if we do four, like you say you're doing, do that every day. Don't try not to do four one day, two another day, 18 another day, six the other day. And then if you wish, you can start building up on that five, six, seven. Uh, and gradually you'll get a, t- you know, you get a taste and you want to chant more. And if you decide that you want to get initiated, then, you know, for one year, you should be chanting at least 16 rounds. But Prabhupada would sometimes say, why 16? Why not 64? Why not constant chanting? So, um, it, it, 16 is a minimum, not a maximum. But that's, that is uh, what has been set by our Acharya, by Srila Prabhupada, for those who want to uh, take vows and get initiated. Okay, thank you. Sure. Okay, Prabhu, so we will finish this chapter next week. We will uh, we'll see you all next week. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Prabhu, thank you. Hare Krishna.